Hello, everybody. This is Bill for the Sit Rep Podcast, and you're joining us for our holiday show. As we go into the end of 2021, we'll be talking a little bit about some project updates and a little bit of news and just general hobbying in the world of war games. So please stand by as you listen to myself and Jim talk about everything and anything related to wargaming in three, two, one. You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Welcome, everybody, to the final SITREP podcast episode of Season 6 and 2021. It's not to say there won't be other productions until the end of the year, but this is the final podcast of the year. And to throw it back to OG style, we're going back to two of the original members of the podcast. So it's myself, Bill SITREP6, and our historical editor, Guru, Mr. Big Jim Mariskany. Jim, how are you, sir? Good morning, everyone, and happy holidays. Yes. Yeah, so How is everyone doing? A very good happy holidays to everybody out there. So the other two members of the crew are out and about doing uh, physical work and computer stuff. And so Jim and I are going to close out this season and this year um, and talk about a lot of different projects. Some big announcements to be made. Big ones. So I can't hold back. So, But first, we got to traditionally show or do talk about what we're doing hobby-wise. Uh, Jim, would you like to start and bring us in? All right. So it's been a very busy week, uh, actually a couple weeks. Um, starting off with, holy crap, man, I feel like I have calluses on my hands from, uh, you know, swinging a hammer. Uh, a lot <laughs> of construction, a lot of building. Um, so we've seen some of our streams that we have featured recently about, you know, building modern buildings, 20 millimeter from scratch. It's not quite that same project. I've gone over and started on 18th century American colonial buildings for use in American civil war. Mm -hmm. As some people may know, I've been getting ready to uh, run a anniversary game of the battle of Trenton, 26th December, uh, 1776. Um, The thing about the battle of Trenton is uh, Trenton is a town. And uh, towns have buildings. I, I wasn't really aware of that. There are these things in building in towns called buildings. <laughs> and um, I didn't really have any, at least not on the right scale. So uh, some of my earlier American Revolution stuff, uh, tables and videos and so on, they've kind of gotten away with it. I've got some like 15 millimeter buildings for like a farmhouse or a homestead. And you kind of put it in the background and nobody really notices. Um, or maybe they have and they just have been polite enough not to say anything. Um, but here it's, it's, uh, yeah, they, they hid the Hessians while they were still in their barracks and their barracks were in the town. So it's kind of a street fight. I, I needed a lot of buildings. I think I've built 22, 25, something like that. 20 millimeter, uh, buildings all from scratch, uh, including two churches in like the last, I don't know, 10 to 12 days or something. So, um, and we have company coming later tonight. 
So the dining room is a wreck. It has to go from terrain factory workshop back to, you know, Christmas dinner with guests, you know, status in like the next yep. six hours. Yep. So there's a <laughs> Casa Riscini is in the, it's like, it's like, it's like DEFCON 2 at the moment. Um, so that's been fun. Uh, I think I finally got it all done. Now I just have to uh, put a wash on my Hessians. I have 72 20 millimeter Hessians. They're all painted. They've been painted for five years. I half painted, I should say, because they don't have any uh, wash on them. So before I put them back on camera, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and finally finish them after five years. <laughs> They're finally going to get a chance to uh, to get some, to, you know, to get a little bit of extra, a um, little bit of extra work put to them. Nice. So uh, that was fun. We also had um, our first time, or at least our first time in a rather great while, our first piece of uh, guest content. Yeah. Uh, our friend Piotr. Uh, yeah, he's Yavasa, as you may roam in the community. He's got his own blog. Um, he's got, uh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a, a big community member back from the old Beast of War days, way back in the day. Um, does a lot of uh, sci-fi as well as... Uh, uh, historical and military and stuff like that. Um, but he was, uh, he, uh, recorded a, a demo game of close combat cross of iron an old, uh, not that old, not as old as my computer games. So not that bad. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of a legacy, uh, computer tactical war game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. Uh, it's actually doing pretty well, uh, our, especially for Wednesday content. Our Wednesday content is usually a little, uh, it doesn't do as well as our Sunday or our Saturday content. Right. Um, but his is actually doing pretty well. No, really uh, so well. I was very happy. Yeah, that's great. Um, picked us up a couple subscribers. Um, yeah, it was over 100 uh, within a smidge over, uh, at least on YouTube, uh, at least um, yeah, within like the first, 30 to 24 to 30 hours, something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, yeah, definitely appreciate that. And, uh, it seems that the community appreciates that. So we may wind up doing some more of that in the future. I mean, if, if a viewer is agreeable, he said he's been, uh, he has said and that he's agreeable to it. So uh, we may, we may see some more of that. Oh yeah. We definitely need going, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We're also going to experiment to see how we can do it. Pretty much a reverse of what we normally do on our Sunday games. Um, where I play, that way, there's more than one person talking. Yeah. Um, there's there's me and him, and uh, he's like you know controlling the screen, and we're recording his screen. Yep. Uh, instead of vice versa. There you go. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, I I really enjoyed it. It was nice to see a fresh, quote unquote, face, uh, to to programming, and it just shows to anybody out there listening that if you have a project that you are passionate about or really want to get you know in front of in front of a camera, computer, whatever you want to call it, you are more than welcome. We can work with you on that. And he did a really great job. I mean, it was, to me, it seemed very natural. I mean, it, it, you know, there was no real awkwardness. Like, you know, how sometimes when people know that they're, you know, presenting in front of a, a large audience, they kind of get hesitant or a little awkwardness. He did a great job, and it was really enjoyable, and the subject matter was great. So uh, big shout-out to him. Absolutely. I mean, he's been on the uh, he's been on the on the uh, Sitra podcast before. Um, he's been in some of my Pens Leader games. We did our 80th commemoration of the invasion of Poland, mm-hmm. um, which is especially uh, pretty cool uh, because he comes from Poland. Yep. Um, 
So, yeah, for the 80th anniversary of the 1939 invasion, you know, infamously that kind of kicks off the European part of World War II, uh, he was um, he was very keen to do that in Panzer Leader. So, I mean, people on the podcast will recognize his voice. He's been around before. But this was all him. Yes. Normally it's him appearing in one of my streams and, okay, we play a game and I kind of record it or stream it or whatever. Um, but this was all him. He just sent us a video. Yep. Um, I mean, we did like some sound balancing and like some credit slides and stuff like that, but that, that content is all his for sure. Yes. Yes, so, it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely great. Nice work. So uh, nice work to P. Arthur. So, uh, and like I said, we invite anybody out there that would like to uh, present a project of theirs, of, you know, something of passion. It could be a game. It could be a terrain building, miniature painting, whatever. Uh, we build this community for you. And uh, if you reach out to us either uh, at our uh, email address, sitrep.podcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us through Discord. Um, that, you know, I'll tell you what, Discord has been exploding lately. So Yeah, that brings us into the third and last thing I wanted to talk about as far as, you know, what have you been hobbying lately? Our Discord got a huge bump in uh, the last week because of our uh, Sunday content where we ran a war game set in the Twilight 2000 universe. Yeah. So Twilight 2000 uh, is a great um, role-playing setting. Originally, uh, it came out from GDW, like back in 1984, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's A fourth edition has now come out. Somebody new has the license. Uh, the name of the company escapes me at, uh, at Freestyle, I believe it is. Thank you very much yep. uh, for the save. I, I appreciate the assist. <laughs> um and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I have a lot of the old books still on PDF from, you know, God knows when. Um, so we pretty much just took, hey, you know, I think there's actually uh, something like this in the original Twilight 2000 uh, publications called, like, Last Battle or something like that, where it basically gives you a chance to almost like a prequel, because Twilight 2000 is sort of post-apocalyptic or in the, in the course of the apocalypse, future role-playing, 2000 was the future back then. Um, here, we kind of did, okay, we're going to back up to uh, like maybe one week or maybe even like one day or even 12 hours before what is traditionally the beginning of a Twilight 2000 game. Yep. And uh, traditionally, that's when you're with 5th U.S. Infantry Mechanized in, uh, I think it's south-central Poland, a town called Kalitz. There's been a big uh, NATO offensive, sort of a last gasp offensive into, um, you know, deeper into Poland. It was going towards Lodz and it didn't work and, you know, chaos ensues. I won't go over the whole uh, Twilight 2000 setting for like a third time, but fans of the setting definitely know what I'm talking about already. So we, we took pretty much that last big battle where 5th U.S. Infantry Mechanized finally disintegrates. And we kind of did a part of that last engagement. And sure enough, I had the Americans and the Canadians, and uh, I kind of disintegrated. So I, uh, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were historically accurate, air quotes, um, in that game. Holy crap, I got the hell beat out of me. I, I've been watching the playthroughs, and I, I saw the two main mistakes I made. Um, one of them I kind of made, like, knowingly. We were kind of in a Mexican standoff. And I was like, this is going to be a boring stream if someone doesn't do something. And I kind of did something silly. But then further further back in the stream, I noticed another really crucial missed opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, I totally saw where I lost that game. Um, 
But anyway, that opened us up to the Twilight 2000 community. Uh, we got some great contacts there through Facebook and YouTube. Uh, joined their Discord. A bunch of them joined our Discord. And uh, yeah, to, to your point, our Discord has, has kind of uh, had a little bit of, a, of an extra boost in the last week, largely due to our recent uh, Twilight 2000 themed content. So yeah, that's been great as well. So yeah, like I said at the top, uh, it's been it's been a hell of a week to be sure. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on, and uh, whoo, Twilight two thousand is on fire uh, right now. You know, it, as typical of any game that um, you know has come out recently, and this was a Kickstarter, and so you know it's bringing back memories for those people that were around for the original version, and it's piqued the interest of people who uh, have heard of it or may not, uh, you know, have heard through it, the, the rumor mill, but so it's nice to see this um, going on here. So, Jim, I'm trying to send you over a file with all the, the updated PDFs, so I'll, I'll get that to you here soon. So you have the updated awesome. version. So. Uh, yeah, and for people who may have maybe have heard, cause it's, it's been in the news, it's kind of been turning around out there in the, uh, in, in the Internet universe. Um, it's one of the better role-playing settings uh, from the 1980s. Um, I was kind of happy when it came out to learn that, because it came out in 1984. It is set in the dark, murky, unknowable future of 2000. Chuckle, chuckle. Um, and now in 2021, they came out with it again when tw- obviously 2000 is hell. We probably have members of our community who weren't around in 2000. Right. Um, you know, pre-9-11, pre-war on terror, the world was totally different back then. And, um, you know, like what, what the world was going to be like. So I was like, okay, are they going to set it? Is it now like twilight 2040 or is it, you know, when I first heard about this re-release and no, they kept the original setting mostly. Um, and they kept, uh, you know, the original date and now it's presented more like alternate history. Uh, that's the first, uh, sort of asterisk there. And then the second one is, uh, uh, I think it was a great setting back in the day that was a little, I, people might disagree, but was a little let down by its, uh, by its system. Um, Frank Chadwick, I think designed most of it. Frank Chadwick was actually a war. He's one of the greatest war game designers that's ever been. Um, he's like, uh, you know, Jim Dunnigan's, uh, you know, illegitimate cousin or something. I mean, he's just, <laughs> um, he, he wrote, uh, the first battle series, the, the, the original team Yankee, uh, game back in 1988. Um, uh, all the, the whole assault series, which was just absolutely phenomenal. That's assault. That's boots and saddles for air calf, um, Bundeswehr, NATO, British army of the Rhine, uh, first line of the, uh, yeah, tons and tons of great, uh, you know, games back in the eighties. Um, Big, hardcore, chunky, detail, crunchy kind of games. Um, that's great for a war game. I'm not 100% sure that same design approach translates into role-playing games. They're supposed to be a little bit more narrative-based. Um, that's just maybe a matter of personal opinion. But from what people were telling me, uh, I got a lot of friends who already have their Kickstarters, uh-huh. either physically or uh, you know, they have the PDFs. I've definitely, there's some people on, a uh, shout-out to Tuffy Years. Uh, and the OTT community, um, she's got a great, uh, like almost like an unboxing project where she, you know, here's, here's what you get in the box folks. So, um, great components. The whole system seems like it's been greatly, uh, streamlined and sort of smoothed out. There's custom dice in there. 
uh, to help out because custom dice tends to alleviate the need for tables and charts yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they went away to, uh, I mean, a lot of games back then have that, have that sort of, I don't want to say stigma, but that, you know, Battletech, Assault, Renegade Legions, um, you know, the later editions of Panzer Leader, they have like the, you know, uh, Advanced Squad Leader is a huge example. That's a game that was almost a victim of its own success. Um, it's just module after module after update after expansion after, oh my God, there's literally a hundred rule books <laughs> and um, there's no fluff. There's no pictures. It's all triple column text and charts. Yeah. Um, you know, break out the magnifying glass and a bottle of aspirin. Um, from what I can tell, the new re-release is not like that at all. They definitely said, okay, it's 2021. We got to come up with a role-playing system that's designed as a role-playing system. And, uh, it's a little bit more, um, uh, supportive of a more narrative play style. It yeah. Seems. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Hopefully we can do something with Twilight 2000. I know a lot of people are interested in that and maybe we can run an online campaign or something, but we'll see, you know, we've got a lot of projects in the works. Uh, speaking of projects in the works, so right now uh, you may have watched our video from last Saturday night, Live Hobby Night. Uh, we worked on our, our Rourke's Drift project. Uh, Marty put together the hospital uh, terrain piece uh, from the set, and I was working on some of the miniatures that I printed. Uh, and we discovered uh, that the standing uh, British soldiers that we printed, the scale is so off we can't even get by with what we have, so we're going to have to reprint all 80 or so of those guys, which brings about a piece of news. So Chris, our uh, social guy uh, from Walkabout Games, uh, Modern Mini 3D, he's, he kind of runs our Facebook page and you know puts out some uh, social podcastings, uh, uh, posted on the page this morning, I believe it was, or last night, Dang Warlord is pushing out a whole new setup of uh, Zulu War stuff you know i mean it's it's like did they hear me or something and also hey let's do this because they're putting out a whole nother british starter army and a zulu warrior starter army uh they're up for pre-order right now i don't know uh if we have an actual release date uh but like the british army is uh, i believe is uh 80 miniatures i'm like seriously you know you couldn't have said this a few weeks back um yeah, I mean, literally. It, I, I always, I always love it when that, that kind of thing happens, and then people are like, "Okay, did you have like inside information that you weren't sharing before, <laughs> or are these people actually listening to you?" Right. Um, when, when, when Battlefront uh, re-released Fate of a Nation, and like the first two things in Fate of a Nation were like the exact two things I've been wailing and whinging and crying and bitching about for the past four years, uh, they were like. Oh my God, you know, is it risking me like, uh, you know, not being completely honest with this or did he just get a new job or is he Nostradamus? What's going on over there? Oh, I know, man, just sometimes you get lucky, you know, something that you've been talking about or asking about. And then the game company, uh, you know, comes out with that exact same thing, like right around the corner. Yeah. So I'm on the webpage and it's uh, 60 plastic British infantry, just like the first set I painted and 20 of the plastic uh, Natal native contingent. So I'm like, seriously, dudes, it's so I think they're doing it in, you know, relation to the anniversary of Rourke's Drift in Island, Wanda, you know, in January. Right. So, I mean, I mean, the timing is suspect, but I mean, 
it just frustrated me. Hey, uh, you know, to our friend John over there at Warlord, um, or you know, any of them uh, over there at Warlord, how about a help out a guy and shout out and saying, "Hey, I see you're going to start this project. We got this going on. How can we help you?" Oh no! So <laughs> it's either is one dollar or it's um, or it's just Christmas, right? So um, or both. But uh, yeah, if you're uh, li- interested in getting some really decent miniatures. Uh, I mean, they have the entire range. Um, they have, they're bringing back the battle set, which is, you know, the f- terrain set. They're bringing back the horns of Buffalo set, which is all everything set I ordered. They got the line infantry. I mean, everything is back And the line infantry. I believe are Perry miniatures, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, but regardless, damn it. You had to go and do it, didn't you? So, which is good. It'll get more people playing. I, I hope so. Um, I'm, I'm happy to see it. It's just, of course it happens now. So, uh, but yeah, we worked on that. Uh, so we got to print up some more guys cause I don't think these guys will be released in time for our deadline. So we'll be working on those and I'm going to build this, the next, um, building and stuff. So, um, I'll be working on that this weekend and during the week and the next weekend, which is Christmas weekend. I plan on taking some time since we're kind of celebrating stuff this weekend. Um, my dad and Don's dad are coming over Saturday, but that leaves us the rest of the weekend to kind of do stuff. Um, so that's my plan. I'm going to get a lot of the stuff built and primed uh, and then in the, over the next week. So all we're doing is finishing up detailing and uh, going from there. I'm probably going to put a video up on how to do the teddy bear fur thatched roof um, just for those people who might be curious about that. So we'll be working on that. Whew, Jim. So uh, what? Yeah. What went wrong with the scale? Are they are they too big or They're too small? Too, too small. They're almost. Lo- they almost look like twenty mil. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, that's kind of strange. Yeah. So you know, I don't. I I noticed that when I did the kneeling um, British soldiers, that it looked the same way, um, and I had to scale up by like one hundred twenty five percent. Uh, to get them in the right scale. I don't know what it is, if something in the translation and when you're building the file or whatever. So, and I, I thought I had upscaled them, but I guess I didn't. So, and then when Marty printed them, he had nothing to compare it to. So, right. you know, he just thought everything was hunky-dory and just printed up the 80 or 90 guys we had. So, we'll have to reprint them. So, that's okay. So, if anybody out there is looking for some 20 millimeter standing British from 1879, let us know. I'll be happy to send you about 80 guys. They're all cleaned up. All you got to do is base them and prime them and paint them. I'd be happy to send them out to somebody. So if you're looking for 20 mils, let me know. So, all right. Um, Jim, big yep. announcement this week for the SIT oh, podcast yeah. and, and for you especially. Would you like to highlight that, sir? Okay. So um, the fact that this project has been in the works is not going to come as a huge surprise i've been sort of hinting and hedging around the edges of it for the better part of 2021 um i wasn't 100 percent sure like what i was allowed to say or how much of it we were allowed to talk about um you know and at, at what time but it is finally out the official um announcement uh went out i think on the 14th of december and that is for the PC release of Valor and Victory. The new Eastern Front expansion is now kicking off its beta testing. 
and it's been announced for a February, uh, late February release of 2022. And why that's especially important to us here on the SITREP podcast is because what we've been able to do is design the, uh, what the scenario pack that's coming with the Stalingrad DLC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we designed, or I designed a 12 historically, well, for Valorant Victory, 12 historically accurate or historically themed scenarios uh, on maps, often drawn from like, aerial photographs of the actual battle sites. Uh, obviously, this Battle of Stalingrad was a gigantic event. Uh, we could have had a hundred scenarios if we had, you know, enough time and money and, you know, so on to, uh, to develop them all. But as far as historical opportunity, we had like, you know, there could have been a thousand. Um, but, you know, we had to pick 12. So we picked, you know, 12, um, you know, based on what we knew about the battle overall, we picked 12, uh, you know, key points, 12 turning points. And uh, design scenarios around those. And, um, yeah, we were uh, actually mentioned in the announcement on the 14th uh, of December. Um, Sit Red Podcast has sort of made it to the big time. We're now part of an actual, uh, uh, you know, actual industry, you know, global industry release. Um, And it was great. Yeah. Now, um, I don't think it's coming with, the actual Eastern Front expansion. I think, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, released as DLC. Uh, but the DLC is, uh, their actual phrase was, uh, the DLC is almost as large as the base game. Nice. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it literally took the, the bulk of 2021. It was from May, uh, the beginning of May. I was working on it during my birthday um, in the hotel. It, it was... Until uh, like October, like like late October, so yeah, pretty much the whole middle of 2021 was uh, was sunk into this project. Um, designing the maps was the biggest part. Historical research, of course, was also a big part. Um, the counters, not so much because you know it's it's made to plug into the pre-existing Valor and Victory game, originally presented as a board game by Barry Doyle, and now. Uh, Lance Craner is working with uh, Matrix War Games, Yobo War Games, and Slytherin for the uh, for the release. Um, like the original one, it's gonna you're gonna be able to buy it if you want and download it. You can play it through Steam, I believe. And um, yeah, so if you want to play some uh, scenarios in Valor and Victory designed by a member of the community, um, you know, uh, keep an eye out for it at the end of uh, at the at the end of February. That's exciting news, and uh, big thank you to you for working on that. I know between that and you know your gaming content for the podcast, it, it pretty much ate up every free moment you have. So uh, nice work and helping get our name out there to the bigger gaming community. So yeah, uh, Stalingrad and Sidrap were pretty much were my hobby in 2021. Yeah, uh, there wasn't a whole lot else going on. <laughs> um, but they, great project and. Uh, Again, just you know, not that we you know we're gonna like you know quit our job or like change careers or anything like that. We're not, but you know, any, <laughs> well, it would be nice. Right. Um, but you know, any little thing that you can do to sort of like contribute back, especially for a game like Valor and Victory. Uh, I've I've waxed lyrical on this like a hundred times before, so I won't get into it. Uh, but when one of the better war games to be released, better and more accessible. 
um, war games to be released in the last, you know, 15 or 20 years is more or less, you know, given to the community for free because of the developers' just love of the game, love of the community, and love of, you know, war gaming in general. Um, is really, you know, really kind of awesome. And uh, that was the original, you know, you know, print and play release. Now they're coming out with it on PC. Of course, the PC title you, you have to, you know, purchase, although the price is very, very reasonable. Um, I think the original one was like 20 bucks, something like that. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it was like 20, 25 bucks. It was not expensive yeah. at all. And that comes with a ton of scenarios, the ability to design and modify your own scenarios. It's, it's got replayability value, you know, all the way to Hanoi and back. I mean, don't even worry about it. You're, you're not going to get bored of this game quickly. Um, the original uh, release did have, like, only, like, the basic uh, features. There was no off-board artillery, no snipers, no Valorous units, uh, things like that. This new Stalingrad release, when I was designing the scenarios, I was talking to the developers, and I was like, okay, what do I not include in my scenarios? Because, you know, what, what are you guys not going to have in the system? He's like, we're going to have everything. So if it's if it appears in a Valorant Victory, like the original Valorant Victory standard D-Day plus one edition rules, put it in there. Um, so, yeah, we put it in there. We've got snipers. We've got off-board. You have to have snipers in Stalingrad. Yeah. I mean, literally. Um, but we have snipers. Uh, we found the original division and regiment that Vasily Zaitsev was actually in, not the one that he was in in the movie. Um, <laughs> That's a great movie, I mean, man. No, it's not. It's a horrible movie. Aww. And uh, oh, no, it's, I'm sorry. We it's, should uh, have a we should have a show just dedicated to uh, movies that I like and that you will bash me for. You know, because they're not. I don't, I don't bash. No, See, I, people always people always think that they think because I like a movie. They don't, you know, they like a movie that I don't. That I don't like them. I'm like, no, I'm not no, bashing no, no, you. I'm but, not, and you're not bashing me. I mean, the movie as far as content and historical accuracy. I'm not saying you bash the person. I'm just saying, you know, I, because I, I'll be honest. Watch Erica. Everybody, get your popcorn out and your beer ready. Ready for this one, Jim? I yep. like the movie The Patriot. Oh my God. Uh, I don't say okay. it's historically accurate. I just like what it does to make me feel like, yeah, I'm gonna go out and kick some enemy ass. You know, the, the it is uh, it, it no, stirs the emotions. Scene, that one scene where he returns to the column and he's got his son's flag, yeah, and like the sun is rising behind him, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this is this is literally like America porn as presented by a German director and an Australian actor. <laughs> I don't know why it works, but somehow it works. Is it uh, even close to correct? Oh my god! They literally forget how many years are, you know are in the American Revolution. Yeah, they show the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, then hard cut to the fall of Charleston in 1780, and there's a voiceover where Gabriel is writing a letter to his dad, and he's like, "It's been a hard two years." I'm like, "Dude, you know, 1780 minus 1776 is four years." I mean, just Stupid, <laughs> glaring errors. Um, they actually got taken to court. They had to change the name of one of the characters. Yeah, in there. Uh, the the bad guy. Um, Carl, his family. Yeah. yeah, his family said they displayed him as a not in you know not true to himself. So, um, and that's that's. I mean, that's bigger than the movie. That movie 
uh, that, that but the, the real life t- person they're talking about there is a colonel, a lieutenant colonel actually, uh, named uh, Beresford Tarleton. He commanded what was called the Tory Legion and blah, 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 made up of remnants of 16th and 17th Dragoons plus American Loyalists. Um, it was a big uh, cavalry unit that was mixed up in some very, very nasty um, atrocities, the Waxhaus Massacre uh, to start with. Um, whether or not they ever herded an entire uh, village into a church, they surrounded it and set it on fire, you know, Germans and Belarus style. No, dude, that, <laughs> not even close. Um, what, what questionable things that unit did do was uh, much more battlefield related as far as, you know, people who were trying to surrender and then somebody shot at one of the British officers and knocked him out of the saddle. And then, you know, everyone's yelling for everyone else to cease fire and, uh, you know, stay arms, but someone already got bayoneted and it spun out of control. There are different versions of the Waxhaws massacre, but that's where Barristel Tarleton gets that reputation from during the war. They did call him the butcher Tarleton. Hmm. Um, you will have British historians that don't see it that way. And the, the American historians who see it the other way and so on and so forth. Um, but then in the movie, they just did the, the, uh, the Jason Isaacs character. I mean, Jason Isaacs is a great actor. Yeah. Yes. He, he just goes absolutely off the friggin' wall. I mean, the, the writer and the director and, you know, they just go absolutely off the, off the charts with them. They turn him into the worst guy since, you know, uh, Heinrich Himmler. I mean, they, he absolutely goes nuts. And, um, yeah, the family of uh, Barristel Tarleton actually, from what I understand, took him to court. He's like, yeah, no, you, you can't portray our family this way. It's 240 years later. Well, I don't care. We, we still care about this shit. They take history a little bit more seriously in Great Britain in general than I think we do here. Um, similar things have happened. I think uh, Admiral Short's family was up in arms about the way his character was portrayed in various Pearl Harbor movies. I think uh, they, they've been petitioning the Navy for like 70 years, and I think they finally got him. No, sorry, Admiral Kimmel and General Short. Sorry, I got the two generals mixed up there. Um, yeah, so it happens in American history too, but um, when certain people get a certain reputation because something happens in history, even though it's been 80 years, 100 years, 200 years, uh, you have to be careful with how you portray them. You have to you know, take care because they still have family. Yeah. And um, that family can still get, um, you know, their, their, their feathers justifiably uh, ruffled. Yeah. So that's why he's William Tavington. They changed a few letters in the name to kind of, you know, make it uh, not quite so bad. And then um, one thing that the movie kind of does do right is they, from what I've read, early drafts of the movie actually had uh, the Mel Gibson character as Francis Marion. Oh, really? Uh, as what I've read and uh, like halfway through the screenwriting process, they actually read a couple books about Francis Marion and said, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Um, we need to like change this now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Wow. You want to talk about a a character that can, you know, has a, has a controversial uh, background. Um, And this isn't like 21st century wokeness here. I'm talking about people have always had a problem with Francis Marion. Um, and some of his, uh, you know, some facets of his, uh, character and personality. Yeah. Uh, so they did change that and that's where you get this fictitious. I think it's Benjamin Martin. Yeah. He's his character in the, uh, in, in the movie. Yeah. Cause the real and Francis then, uh, Marion was, he was ruthless. He really yeah, was. Yeah. He was ruthless, uh, to his own people, uh, to the British. Um, 
And the thing about the, the American Revolution in the South is it, it did get very nasty. Yeah. The American Revolution in the South was vicious. It was a straight out, it wasn't really a revolution so much as a civil war. And uh, when you got the, the loyalists and the, and the patriots going at it, um, the British were almost like, oh my God, let's get the hell out of here. The Americans are killing each other. We don't need any part of this. Um, which was kind of the whole reason the British went down there was to sort of uh, cultivate and leverage this, this much stronger loyalist uh, presence that was in colonies or states like Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of problems there between uh, the, the Americans, the American colonists. Yeah. Um, there were certainly loyalists up north too, but loyalists and patriots up north usually didn't kill each other. And when I say kill each other, I mean in some of the most horrific ways that, you know, I mean, some horrible, horrible stuff happened. Um, huge atrocities. It wasn't usually the British. It was usually American on American. Um, and it was bad. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. So yeah, Francis Marion was mixed up in a lot of that. Um, and then of course the way he, he, I mean, I won't say, oh, he was a slave owner. George Washington was a slave owner. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. But yeah. this guy, on top of that, Francis Marion I'm talking about, um, on top of just owning slaves, like the way he treated them, the, what he did with some of them, I mean, it's 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 next level. I mean, slavery is bad enough. This was just like, holy shit, man, take it down a notch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's before he started shooting at British. I mean, yeah, it got, it got crazy. So they pulled his name out of the movie. Uh, the big battle at the end was supposed to be the Battle of Cowpens. In fact, if you look through the credits, you'll see um, like Battle of Cowpens, American Revolution Officer number one, number two, like the extras in the background or whatever. Um, notice the battle of the name Cowpens is never mentioned. This is a battle in January 1781, um, which is good because that battle bears fuck all resemblance to Calpins <laughs> in any way. It's even worse than uh, Braveheart in the Battle of Sterling Bridge that doesn't have a bridge. It's even worse than that. Um, but yeah, that movie is uh, is, is pretty bad. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 pretty, it's, it's pretty rough. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's well shot. Yeah. It's got some nice music. It's got, it's got a John Williams score. You know what? I'm going to say something nice about the Patriot. It's got a John Williams score. Yeah. And the John Williams score is actually pretty good. Yeah. How did we get on this topic? You were talking about Stalingrad. Oh, the, the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you brought the Patriot. So this is all your fault. <laughs> all righty then. This is what happens when, when Chris and Marty don't show up to the show. As uh I have more more time to talk about the random topics that I should not talk so much about. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, you know who's – it was Roland Emmerich was the director, huh? Yeah, so I'm saying I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a German director. Well, first yeah. of all, Roland Emmerich, that, that freaking guy. The guy the guy who tried to ruin Godzilla. Talk about – I don't even – I hate him for historical reasons. He just – he almost ruined Godzilla. Yeah, Roland Emmerich. Yeah, so a German director and an Australian actor is going to tell me about the American Revolution. <laughs> Good luck with that. Pack a lunch. Yeah, he did Day After Tomorrow, Godzilla, which was terrible. And Independence Day and the Patriot. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, Day After Tomorrow, um, 2012, I believe. Yeah. He, he really got into those. Um, in the 90s and 2000s, he got into all those disaster movies. Yeah. You know, World Ends Tomorrow kind of movies. All right, well, so there's that. 
So, yeah, we have the uh, DLC pack uh, for the Battle of Stalingrad for Valor and Victory. Uh, Jim, as soon as we can get our hands on it, we definitely need to do some, uh, uh, you know, game time, air time. So, uh, take some people through some of the... Word of warning, those scenarios are not easy. Yeah. They, they wanted they wanted Stalingrad scenarios. I'm like, you know, Stalingrad was a brutal battle, right? You know, yeah, they're like, there's going to be a brutal scenario. Yeah. So those scenarios are, are not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. It's all right. You know, it's, it is what it is. So yeah, that's exciting news. Uh, what else you got going on there, Jim? You got Trenton. You've been building all these yeah, buildings. So, yeah. The battle of Trenton, we're going to do, um, again, it depends. I'm, I'm going to be at my dad's house for the holidays. So mm-hmm. we're going to be in this workshop, set it up, uh, play it and build it or whatever. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stream it live or if I'm going to record it. If I record it, it's going to come out like in the next couple of days. Sure. So if you don't see anything from us on the 26th of December, it's because I recorded the game and now I'm piecing it together and editing it and so on and so forth, getting it ready for uh, uh, some sort of a recorded release. But hopefully I can stream at least some of it. Nice. Um, on the actual 26th. That depends on his internet and, you know, where we're setting up the table and how close the router is. And there's a whole bunch of technical stuff I can't test yet because I'm not there. Right. So, yeah, hopefully it'll be the 26th of December, the actual anniversary of the battle. And um, if not, but the game will definitely be played and uh, we'll have something, uh, some video highlights uh, that come out in the next couple days after that. So either way, uh, before New Year's, you'll definitely see some uh, content for the Battle of Trenton. No counters, no hexes, no virtual game. An actual 20-millimeter real-life table Wow. Um, set up with tons of terrain and so on and so forth. Nice. So, yeah, looking forward to that. I am as well. That'll be awesome. So uh, do you have any gaming going on tomorrow? Do we have Do we have a item for tomorrow? Uh, we don't have any gaming for tomorrow, but uh-huh. I was going to do a stream where I, yeah, like I said, I have to put a wash on these sessions. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm going to set up all those buildings uh-huh. and um, start to, you know, just do a quick hobby stream. Nice. It'll literally just be applying wash to 72 figures. So uh-huh. it's not going to be an amazing, but just like a quick, you know, happy holidays, hangout, hobby session uh, to sort of close out our Sunday content uh, also for uh, 2021. Nice. That sounds grand. Um, so let's talk about, let's transition a little bit to, uh, Christmas and, and things that, uh, would make a war gamer's life better or more enjoyable as far as Christmas gifts and things. Uh, some of the things, so, uh, let me start, Jim. Um, one of the things, if you're a miniature, uh, or terrain builder, uh, type war gamer, um, definitely invest in an airbrush. Uh, I can't tell you how much an airbrush makes uh, terrain uh, and miniature painting much more enjoyable and easier. Now, a lot of people are hesitant to buy one uh, because they just don't know about it or you've never used one. And they're like, I don't know if I can do this. Airbrushing is not hard. It takes practice. It takes uh, muscle memory. Muscle memory is probably one of the bigger issues when it comes to airbrushes. And what is the biggest obstacle for anybody who uses an airbrush? It's cleaning the airbrush, right? Uh, Because if you don't keep your airbrushes well-maintained and clean, uh, little specks of paint start drying up and they capture more specks of paint. And then you start having clogs and sputters and things like that. So the importance is... Uh, 
I was almost going to say also the compressor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people often argue about, Oh, what kind of paintbrush should I buy? What kind of, um, you also have to buy a compressor and the compressor is going to be just as important as the airbrush. So that might be a second uh, sort of a gateway. Yeah. So but again, there, there's plenty of, of options out there. I totally agree with, uh, with your advice. Um, if you haven't bought an airbrush and you're hesitant about it, I remember I was, uh, don't be, yeah. um, shop around and yeah, go ahead. And I was going to say, so, you know, some people are like, well, you know, some of these airbrushes are really expensive. Now there are two schools of thought out there. I I've heard from both sides. Some people say, well, you can buy a lesser expensive airbrush to learn. Some people say you can't do that because you could get frustrated if it doesn't work right and then get out of airbrushing altogether. What I have found is, and Chris Long and I were talking about this the other day on the live show, um, is that a lot of the airbrushes you find, I'm looking, I'm on Amazon right now looking under airbrushes, uh, as long as it's not some cheap plastic thing, because there was a, a God, I can't remember that company that made a plastic one. You know, it had like, uh, it was terrible. If you find a good chrome-plated um, airbrush, um, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money. My preference is Awadas. I like the Awadas, and I'm on the Awada page on Amazon right now. Um the one airbrush I use most often, and it's a workhorse, is the Revolution CR. It's a dual action. Right now, they have it for $96. That's not bad. Um, you can find airbrushes much cheaper. Like, I'm looking at a Master airbrush. It's $49. And it comes with three different needles and spray caps. So, I mean, it may be more than what you... It, you get what you pay for. I don't disagree with that. But in the same token... Even the lesser expensive, if they're chrome-plated, you know, they're polished chrome-plated because that prevents the paint from sticking in it, as long as you keep it clean and you mix your ratios right, you should get good results. Are you going to get fine, thin, uh, you know, top-of-the-line results? Maybe not. Maybe you will. I have not used any of these brushes. You know what I should do, Jim? I should buy a couple of these different levels and do a comparison video to show people. You know, if you buy this one, this is how it works. Does it work okay? You know, and review it for people out there who might be on the fence for buying an airbrush. I don't mind doing that um, because I need a new air. I need a couple new airbrushes as well. Um, my Awada is the in, inner barrel. The chrome is uh, flaking off. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's happening, uh, and that's a, a totally my fault. Um, I left my airbrush in simple green, 100% strength for several days um, because it was clogged, and I'm like, well, I'll just use simple green, and it'll clean it. Oh, it cleaned it all right. So um, it, it, I don't know. There's some kind of chemical reaction that happened, but uh, don't use 100% simple green um, when you do that because it, it kind of uh, – it still works. Uh, it's sometimes just not as smooth. It tends to clog easier nowadays. Um, but you really, you know, I'll show, you know what we should do? We should do a breakdown video of how to take apart the airbrush, you know, all the little pieces and how to clean it and all that good stuff. So, um, but yeah, if you're a, a miniature gamer, uh, definitely invest in an airbrush set, it, especially if you're doing, you know, mass quantities of miniature. So like if you're, um, 
uh, you know, Civil War guy or Napoleonics, anything where you got to do a lot of miniatures. Airbrushing will help because once you get your finger control down, you know, I've been doing this with the, the uh, British guys for the Zulu project is I can do their tunics all in red. And I, you know, 99% of the time I'm within the parameters, you know, just their tunics. Um, then I'll do their blue pants, you know, and, and I don't have any overspray. And you, But you got to think about colors. What color should I do first? What color should I do second? You know, like you should do the pants first and then do, you know, the, the tunics or vice versa just because you're looking at overspray and things like that. So you got to do that. Um, but that will help a lot. And then you can go in. Uh, and with a brush and pick out the fine details like, you know, their web gear and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there that do a lot of great airbrushing. I'm no master or expert by any means, um, but I can get through a nice set uh, of guys with an airbrush, at least block coloring. And then, you know, you can use it for weathering and all kinds of things. So an airbrush, a good airbrush setup uh, will save you a lot of time and frustration um, because there's nothing worse than sitting there with a brush and painting a hundred guys, you know, all this. So it does help. It makes things enjoyable, and uh, there's so many uses for a good airbrush. So you have yeah, any- a lot of people use it. Uh, a lot of people use it just for, um, even if it's just for priming, and even if it's just for like base coating and the yeah the initial zenithal yeah. uh, that you sometimes put down from the top. Um, even if it's just for that, I mean, a lot of people. Uh, our friend uh, Martin uh, Russell with uh, the Hobby Lodge uh, over there in the UK. Yep. Um, he, yeah, he pretty much just uses it for, you know, priming, basing, and then that Zenithal thing. And he plays mostly skirmish games, like those uh, low mini count games. So even if you're not into the huge battle games, we have to do like that Warlord set, that Civil War epic set that has like, you know, a thousand pieces to it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not even just for that. I definitely use it for vehicles. Um, I do a lot more vehicles than I do infantry. Uh-huh. And for vehicles, you can't beat an airbrush. Absolutely cannot beat an airbrush. Um, because vehicles have much more broad surfaces, a lot more flat panels. Um, and when you're trying to get just basic coverage um, with a brush, forget about it. You're going to number one, you're going to be there till Christmas. Literally, like, or should, should I say next Christmas? <laughs> you're going to be there forever. Number one, number two, um, you're never going to get good coverage because um, the paint's just not going to stick to the miniature that well, even if you prime it. Right. And uh, number three, uh, by the time you put enough paint on there to get the coverage, you've lost a lot of your detail. Yeah. Uh, and then number three, um, I mean, you're 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 you're, you're going to spray paint it anyway because you because you really don't want to prime it. You're going to be you're, you know you're going to prime it with a spray. And uh, if you don't have an airbrush, your only a real option is like a rattle can, which I used to use. I've done a lot of my armies, and then you know probably half my miniatures have rattle can, uh, you know, spray on them. And um, yeah, there's 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 some problems there too. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would say, because um, I mean I have a I have a badger. I think a lot of badger has a lot of fans out there as far as uh, the, the airbrush goes. Uh-huh. Um, and then when a piece broke on my badger, the only hose I could get was an Awada, and then I had to get a adapter between the Awada and the badger because they have different whatever. Um, so that was a little annoying. But no matter what brand you get, I would say uh, just make sure that, um, in addition to your previous comments, uh, make sure that it's a gravity-fed air, uh, airbrush. Yeah. Um, where the little paint pot is up on top of your uh, 
of your actual, you know, airbrush. So yeah, you're gonna have a lot more control. There are other kinds of airbrushes. Uh, I don't know, maybe for priming or something like that, like base coverage, they work fine. But when you're trying to do any kind of actual work, uh, it's definitely good to stick with a gravity fit airbrush. And you are, you are also going to have to buy a compressor. Yes. Um, they're like, I think I paid 80 bucks for my compressor. It's very small. It's like the size of, I don't know. Um, it, it could, it doesn't quite fit in a shoe box. Um, so it's like two shoe boxes stacked on top of each other. Um, get a water trap. Well, that's it. All those features are going to come with the, uh, are going to come with the compressor. So if you go online and you click around, you're going to see some people who really get into this kind of stuff. They're going to be like, Oh, I have, you know, dual water traps on my, uh, on my air compressor. I have the water trap on the compressor itself. And I have another one somewhere along the line, you know, the the actual airline that goes from the compressor to the base of the airbrush. And uh, I have this, I have that extra feature. I have all this other stuff. Um, you know, what pressure do you set your airbrush on? Well, it depends on what kind of work you're going to do. Uh, like a lot of things in the hobby, there are levels of how much do you need to know? How much do you need to spend? You know, how deep can the rabbit hole go? Um, don't go to a blog or uh, the Facebook page or, you know, a website or, uh, you know, talking to people who use airbrushes all the time and, you know, hear all this detail and all this jargon and get, uh, get freaked out. Um, say, Oh my God, that's way too much to remember. These are people who use this kind of stuff all the time. Um, like the guys who, you know, paint stuff on the side of cars, you know, like, you know, dragons and barbarians and bikini girls or whatever. Um, and like, you know, they're painting her eyelashes on there with an airbrush. Okay. Well, first of all, she's like four feet long. Number one, they're not exactly (laughs) painted miniatures. And number two, um, yeah, they're just, they're experts. They literally do this for a living. We're talking about hobby. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you can definitely, I, I just, I can't, I, I guess I should just, you know, wrap this up. Just say, I agree with everything that you're saying. I just would go with a badger rather than a Wada, but that's, that's the only thing that I would even start to, uh, diverge on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely take care of your airbrush. It's not that hard. It's, uh, it's always like, it's like, it's like taking your gun to the, uh, taking your pistol to the range. Yeah. Have fun with it. But when you get home, you gotta, you gotta take it apart and you gotta, you, you gotta clean it. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's not going to work for you next time. You know, the, it's funny you say that because I bought two Badger airbrushes when they have every year they have a birthday sale. So it, the owner of Badger, I believe his name's Ken, when he, it comes around to December, I think his birthday's in December, he has a sale and his age is the price of every airbrush he makes. So one year, I think it was like $56 an airbrush. No matter what the airbrush was, it was $56, uh, which is a good deal, right? Because these are, you know, 100 plus airbrushes. Um, I bought two and honestly, I, maybe it's operator. I have not had success with badgers. Um, they always seem, I always seem to have problems with them flowing and everything else. Uh, one of them broke on me right after I got it. Now that I'm going to admit is my fault. I, I, I assembled it incorrectly and I got a piece stuck and now it's, I can't fix it. I have to uh, totally replace that part. Uh, the second one is a Patriot, and I don't know if I've lost a part of some, but, I mean, paint just flows, just, like, almost runs out of it no matter what I do to adjust it. Um, so my Iwata I- has just been dependable. Now, you probably had a totally different experience with your Badger, obviously, than I've had. So um, I have a Badger Renegade, and I call it the AK-47 of airbrushes. <laughs> and uh, I-, I say it with every awareness. 
um, like every every way you can apply that analogy. Is it the most precise? Is it the most well machined? Is it the most forgiving? It was my first airbrush. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh-huh. Um, and I still have it and I still use it. It doesn't work as well as it used to, but I've been using it for four years now. And again, this is like, you know, when your kid wants to learn how to drive, you don't take him out there in the brand new Lexus. Um, especially if it's like a manual transmission, you know, <laughs> um, there's going to be a little bit of gear grinding going on. Um, so yeah, it was a learning process for me and my Badger specifically. I have a Badger Renegade. Um, yeah, but she still works. And, uh, I really did not treat it right. Yeah. Cause I didn't a hundred percent know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't have any, I don't, I don't really have any problems with it. Um, in fact, given the lack of expertise I had when I first purchased the airbrush and first started using it, uh, I'm surprised uh, that it works as well as it does. So the fact that your badger uh, broke on you or whatever is, is kind of surprising. And I, I wouldn't even call it like user error. Because like I said, I was making a ton of user errors with my badger, and it still works like a champ. Nice. Well, uh, like I said, you know, I think it's whatever you work, you know, and part of it is, you know, sometimes I'm not the best on maintenance, and I pay for it. You, you definitely airbrushes are not forgiving in some aspects if you don't clean and maintain your airbrush. They are not forgiving. They that you will pay for it one way or another. So, um, but I've learned over the time. So maybe we'll do an airbrushing episode if people are interested in that. Um, what for you, what brand, do you have a preferred brand of paints that you like to use, or are you pretty much whatever suits the need at the time? Uh, people who watch my hobby streams know that I am, like, the world's cheapest hobby guy. <laughs> I use, like, air. Then again, I, I've got a background of actual artwork. Uh-huh. Um, so I might be able to get more out of, like, basic uh, craft store acrylics than, than uh, some other people. Um, but I just use basic uh, stuff and whatever's available at the, I mean, I do prime the model first, so it sticks to it, and you do varnish it afterwards uh, so that the model, you know, doesn't fade or the paint doesn't come off the model afterwards. Right. Um, so I probably spend as much money as I save in the long run. Um, the one thing I do, st- I do uh, stand by as far as, okay, um, no more apple barrel crap from Hobby Lobby or whatever. <laughs> it's time to actually, no, I'm serious. Yeah, I mean, no, look, yeah. look at my, um, you know, what, what kind of stuff do you actually paint with as far as actual hobby stuff? I do, I do like my, uh, okay, first of all, we were just talking about airbrushes. I have Vallejo um, airbrush paint. So don't put terribly cheap paint through your airbrush because right. that's going to be a, you know, eventually a maintenance problem. Yeah. Try to stick with better paint. Um, or at least thinner paint uh, for your airbrush, and that includes uh, a bit of a thinner. So, um, obvious, or uh, honestly, I sometimes get away with a couple drops of water uh, rather than going out and buying a commercial thinner. Uh, commercial thinner is probably better in the long run, but um, I do have Vallejo airbrush paint, and I do have uh, Vallejo washes. In fact, I'll be using a lot of Vallejo wash in tomorrow's stream. So, um, yeah, I use, you know, bargain basement, um, you know, Michael's craft store kind of paints. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost a running joke now in our hobby streams, but, uh, when it comes to washes, yeah, I do actually go for the Vallejo. You do have to thin it a little, a little bit of water. I guess it depends on what you're painting. 
Yeah. But uh, Vallejo wash can be a little a little thick, which is a good thing. It just means it'll last longer. Just put a little bit of water into it um, and go from there. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I have pretty much the big brands for paints. I have Vallejo's. I have Army Painter. I've got Scale 75. I've got... Uh, P3, that's Privateer Presses. I've got uh, GW Paints. Um, and I've discovered when I was painting the other day, if you don't shake and use your paints as often, uh, you're losing. I'm losing paints because they're just, you know, they're starting to solidify and thicken. Um, so what have I learned? I need to shrink down my paints. Uh, I have so many paints that there's some bottles I probably will never get to, you know, color-wise. Um for the type of gaming I do and it's just a waste. So, um, you know, it looks cool on the hobby table when you got this big display of all these paint bottles, but, um, yeah. So think about what projects you can do and kind of use paints that, you know, that you're going to use more often instead of just sitting there. Um, so, but I, I, I'm looking at, uh, getting the, uh, set of the Vallejo, uh, model air paints, um, or game air, you know, cause I, I do prefer Vallejo. Uh, I think their paints are really nice. And for military projects, I think their colors are better, personally speaking. Um, you know, Army Painters are nice. Don't get me wrong. I have not tried the new Army Painter uh, Airs brush paints. I might grab a couple bottles just to do a comparison between Model Air and uh, the Army Painter ones just to see. Um, so... But that's I, I do prefer those. Now I'll say the the uh, apple barrel paints. I use those for um, if I'm doing just like ground, you know, for a large build. I'll use that just yeah. to cover the ground, you know, for the base before I put grass and all that stuff on just to color. Oh yeah, for terrain you yeah. can't beat it. There's no yeah. way. I mean, if you're gonna use if you're using like Army Painter or Citadel or some, you know, twenty five dollars a bottle paint for terrain. Um, I think you need to have a sit down with your financial advisor <laughs> and uh, talk about planning for your retirement or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. When it comes to terrain, absolutely. Yeah. Use the, uh, use the basic stuff. Cause it's just, it's, it's bigger. It's larger. You're going to you're gonna use a lot more of it. Yeah. So yeah, don't, uh, definitely use that. And as far as primers, um, you know, honestly, any good primer out there, I mean, there are the, C, you know, Citadel primers, the GW primers and, uh, Vallejo makes primers that you can spray on. Um, I tend to use rattle can primers as long as it's not a thick one that you you know uh, that you'll lose detail to. Uh, I tend to use some of the Rust-Oleum primers. Um, they lay down a good coat. Uh, it's pretty even. It's durable. Paint seems to stick to it pretty well. Um, so uh, I do like those, uh, and it's easy. You know, I can go to the hardware store and buy Rust-Oleum. So uh, Krylon is pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes what I'll do is uh, Krylon makes primers in different colors because um, Krylon can be a little thick. But what I do is I get the uh, primer that's in the color that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And that way I can do my priming and my base kind of at once. Right. And um, I got sort of save a layer uh, as far as, you know, putting too much stuff on the model or whatever. Um, also, I've become a big fan of just priming everything in black, no matter what I'm eventually going to color it. And um, then sort of using that black as like my pre-rendered shadow. Oh, really? And then when I'm painting, yeah. And then when I'm, it's almost like a like um, once 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 you get done with the black, you just sort of 
I don't want to say you don't completely paint the model, but you uh, you paint the model and you leave a little bit of that black showing, especially uh-huh. on any kind of you know under surfaces like you know under the helmet rim, under you know in the collar, under the arms or whatever. Right. Um, and it almost comes with a little bit of pre-made uh, shadow. It makes your models look a little pre, um, you know, a little bit of a 3D effect, additional 3D effect. Nice. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Um, that's mostly in 15 mil. Yeah. Um, I don't know how well that would work for larger scales. Oh, but... okay. Well, yeah, it'd be worth a try. And one other thing, you were mentioning Vallejo paints before. Uh-huh. One other thing that makes Vallejo paint, uh, at least for me, uh, a step up uh, from some other brands out there. I think you'll appreciate this. Vallejo just tastes better. <laughs> it really does. If you're a brush licker like uh, like, uh, like a lot of us are, yeah. and you're like, oh, my God, what, what am I doing? But Vallejo's like, mm, that's actually a nice uh, after-dinner oh flavor. I like that. That no, I'm just funny. kidding, everyone. Do not eat your paint. Oh, your my paint. God. That is hilarious. Uh, okay. Well. <laughs> so what are you uh, looking forward to as far as gaming or in the new year or, you know, um, anything piquing your interest? Well, we're definitely going to give Val- uh, Valor and Victory Stalingrad a try. Oh, yeah. Um. I hadn't thought about Twilight 2000 in a while, but, you know, all the interest that's been kicked up around it, uh-huh. uh, especially if the system is uh, is smoothed out and streamlined, as people say. Yeah. Um, uh, you never know. Uh, that might be fun to, uh, to, to look into um, in the future. Um, I am bingo models as far as hobby goes. I have zip all, nothing. Um, How is that humanly on- possible? I'll tell you exactly how it's possible. I stopped <laughs> buying things. Uh, I stopped buying things like a year and a half ago, and I've just been working on everything since. Um, your your pile of shame will eventually whittle down. Now, admittedly, it was never that big, but um, and it did take like over a year, but it does eventually go away if you stop buying things and keep painting the stuff you have. Um, and I wasn't even working on models all the time. Like I said, most of 2021 was in, you know, hex encounter projects like Valor and Victory. Right. Uh, it does eventually go away. But, uh, yeah, now I actually do want to start building something new. I just don't know what scale um, to go into. Or I- I'm thinking 15 mil American, modern American, because I've got 15 mil Soviets out the ass. I got, I got a huge 15 mil Soviet army now. Um, and I've got some West Germans, but I don't have any Americans in 15 Gotcha. Uh, for moderns. I have a big American 15-4 for for World War II. Um, But, yeah, it's like I just – I got to find something that clicks into the uh, miniature collections I already have. Like, oh, I have this, but I don't have – you know, I have Americans, but I don't have – the only 15 mil Americans I have are Desert Storm Marines, Uh which are great. They're some of my favorite miniatures I've ever put together, but they're very specific. Um, There's literally 100 hours of history I can really use them in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe some Americans in, in 15 mil, but yeah, 2022, I got to build, I got to buy and build a new army. I just don't know what it, I don't know what it is yet. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, for me, it's concentrate on one project, get the project started and get it finished. That's, that's my goal for 2022. So, you know, like right now we're working on the Rourke's Drift 
get it done, get it up, get it played, and then move on to the next thing. Um, I do, I know I talk about this all the time. I do want to play a big war game. I mean, I want one of those that I can lay out on my pool table and come and play for a day and, you know, you know, we'll come back and play it another day. So, um, one of those big games. So like, like a big hex encounter campaign kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, you know, they're just, I'm trying to think of miniature wise. What's, I mean, I guess you could do the, um, you know, the epic battles, Napoleonics. I still have a whole bunch of Napoleonic stuff. Um, you know, that in six mil that I, I, I just kind of sit in on my shelf right now. So. Was say, wasn't there a whole bunch of Civil War six mil as well? Yeah. Or no, that was like 10 mil, 10 wasn't mil. it? I still have all that to do. So I, I really need to figure out um, what I want to work on next. But I don't want to think about it until I get Zulu done. That That's truly, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, um, just just me personally, I'm I'm exactly the same way. I'm I'm hobby around the house in the office and like my day job, whatever. I am usually not the guy that does well with here's 20 projects, you know, just keep them all kind of in the air. Send me a progress report every couple of weeks or whatever. And let me know how this I'll, I'll drop something. I'm the kind of guy that's give me 20 projects. I'm going to put them on a table. Okay. Here's the first one. Yeah. Focus a hundred percent of the energy and just, you know, laser beam it out of existence quickly because you've got 19 more projects behind it and people are going to be adding more as you go. Um, go to the next one, go to the next one. But at least for me, workflow wise, it's always one thing at a time. Um, at 125% intensity and, you know, turnaround time, uh, people on the podcast might know I'm not, a, I'm not known as a patient man. Um, get one <laughs> thing done, move on to the next thing, get another thing done, move on to the next thing. Uh, this whole, Oh yeah, we have like this basic thought cloud, um, you know, bubble map of like 15 things we're working on at once. That that drives me up the wall. That's 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 borderline chaos. And at least for me, it feels like nothing's being done. Yeah. Um, and I'll admit, I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm like, oh, I got this idea. We're gonna do this, and then we do this, and and then, but nothing gets completed. I mean, we completed Benghazi, but you know, so. Um, but I want to make sure that, you know, when we start a project, we put our effort into it and then we go through it. So, yeah, I mean, the first downs are great, but touchdowns win the game. Exactly. You got to get the ball in the end zone. Exactly. What is that game, Jim? The big Pacific game that it's like ridiculously huge. That picks. I think it's Pacific war, the Pacific war Uh, by decision games, which I don't own and I've never played. So I can't personally recommend or, um, or not recommended or whatever. I just, uh-huh. I was doing some Pacific war writing and I was like, well, you know, what are some options for Pacific gaming? And then I came across that in my research and I was doing some reading on it. And, um, yeah, that thing is, it looks pretty huge. <laughs> it looks, uh, really, it's, it's the entire Pacific war down to, I believe it's the regiment level. Wow. Regiment and individual ships, and I think individual aircraft squadrons. So yeah, the box comes with like nine thousand counters. Is that um, the game? The game costs like five hundred bucks, and that's for a hex encounter game where you're basically getting paper and cardboard. Five hundred dollars. Uh, the map is something like uh, their maps. There's a library of maps, 
that I become, it's like 40 square feet of maps. Um, yeah. So, you know, a fun little thing to bring to the pub on beer and pretzel, night. <laughs> you know, kind of fun, <laughs> you know, 15 minutes later, you know, you're done. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> this, this is the game where you have to put an addition on your house, uh, to set it up. It's, that's, a it's what it looks like. Um, but yeah, it definitely looks like a good game. I have, I, I just haven't tried it personally. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the kind of game because we used to play, I think it was war and peace, you know, the Avalon Hill war and peace. Oh yeah. We play that, you know, and that's one of those ones that y- you could theoretically, if you do a battle, you know, a scenario in a day, but my dad and uncle used to do campaign the whole thing, you know, and just go through it. And it would take a couple of days or so. war in the Pacific. That's it. War in the Pacific. Um, yeah. By decision game. Yeah. It may be Pacific war or war in the Pacific. No, war in the Pacific. Pacific war. Yep. War in the Pacific. Oh, I'm Pacific. looking at the page right now. It's in stock. It's only it's 450 bucks. Yep. 450 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Jeez, oh, it came down a little. I think it was like four ninety nine last I looked. Um, yeah, it's 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 it looks like a really big game. So it has seven full size maps, twenty two inches by thirty four inches. New tactical maps with nearly three hundred thirty eight individual islands for new ground units to fight over. Thirty two die cut counter sheets, nearly nine thousand counters. Ariskany was not lying. No, sir. You know your war games. That's for sure. This looks too cool. I, would I do, do like the Pacific. Is it the Pacific or does it include Asia as well? That whole Bur- Bur- Burma, India, China um, thing. Or maybe you can't tell on the on the site. Because sometimes, like, I'll say, you know, like Great Britain wasn't really in the Pacific War. And then people would be like, oh, what, what, what about, what about? I'm like, dude, that's not the Pacific. That's, that's Asia. Um, so I just want to, I'm just curious because sometimes people sort of divide those two theaters. Well, from the map counters, it looks like all the island hopping battles that went on. So, you know, uh, there's a... South Pacific, Central Pacific. Yeah. So, because it's interesting because you have these strategic maps, and then when you do a battle in each island, there's maps just for those islands. So, like, you know, I'm looking at uh, uh, Florida Island, Tula Guy. Oh, yeah. So, and then there's Bougainville. Uh, so, yep. you know, so they yeah, have, that was a nasty one. yeah, so they have all that. So, yeah. Florida Island, that's down in the Solomons. Yeah. I think that's the, the strategy map I'm looking at. So, yep. but yeah, um, I will buy this. I, I, my only issue is it's a 450 bucks is a lot for a hex encounter game. I'll be honest. But Yeah. I mean, it's. Like I said, I don't own it, so I can't. Re- I can't personally recommend it. Right. Um, I just came across it, and like I mentioned it in a podcast once. I was like, "Hey, if you want to get serious," <laughs> I'm like, "Ha ha ha!" Next thing I know, uh, you're seriously talking about buying it. I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> he's gonna buy it, and then I'm gonna feel bad if he doesn't like it or whatever." <laughs> Damn no. it! Ariskany, you owe me four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it says it's the War in the Pacific plus extension. I'm not sure what the extension is, but. Uh... Maybe it's the China, Burma, India thing, yeah. or maybe it depends on like what island hopping. Because you said, um, you know, it gives you like a certain number of maps for different islands that you can fight over. Yeah. Uh, so you have to choose which islands. Um, and that's half of that's half the point of a strategy game. Yeah, is you know, island hopping is not about what you. We said this in our Pacific series on Op Center. 
uh, island hopping is not about what you attack. It's about what you don't attack. Um, it's not attacking an island, invading an island, and then hopping over the water to the next one. Right. It's you're hopping over the next hundred islands, and you have to be very, very strategic and very circumspect in which islands are actually important and which ones can you bypass. And spoiler alert, it's not the big ones. The biggest Japanese garrisons were never, never, never attacked. Otherwise, the Pacific War would still be going on to this day. Um, Rabaul uh, is a big example. Um, oh. You thought Normandy was bad. Yeah. At Normandy, we at Normandy we crossed. Or we uh, the Allies crossed a hundred miles of water to attack maybe twenty thousand Germans with a hundred eighty thousand Allied troops on day one. Um, we had them outnumbered about nine to one, nine or ten to one, over a hundred miles of water. If they had actually tried to invade Rabaul, the Japanese had one hundred and twenty thousand troops on Rabaul. So to get the same ratio, you have to do an amphibious landing that puts over a million people on the beach on day one. Uh-huh. That's absolutely impossible. Yeah. Oh, by the way, unlike the uh, Germans in Normandy, the Japanese had plenty of air support. The Japanese had a huge fleet there. The Germans didn't have any kind of a Navy, uh, worth speaking of, especially by 1944. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times people will look at, uh, you know, can we, inv- you know, can we compare European battles versus Pacific battles. Hell no. It's, it's night and day. And both, both theaters have their own, you know, salience and valleys as far as, you know, where the battles were hard, where they were important, where they were not so important, where we could have done without or whatever. And, um, I bring all that up only because in a big strategic Pacific game, uh, the most important decisions you're going to have to make and some of the biggest mistakes that were made costly mistakes that cost literally hundreds of thousands of lives, American, Japanese, and civilian. We never should have invaded the Philippines. Um, I don't care what MacArthur says. He wants his little press event. You know, I have returned. Mm-hmm. Piss off, dude. Your personal <laughs> promise does not dictate American policy. Um, and that costs the lives of, you know, upwards of a million Philippine civil, uh, Filipino civilians. I yeah. mean, we, we didn't have to do that. And um, never did take them. Not until the end of the war when Japan surrendered anyway. But um, those are the kind of decisions that you have to make in a big game like, you know, Pacific War or War in the Pacific. And um, it sounds like it gives you plenty of options. The problem, or not say the problem, but the only potential pitfall I see is what if you want to attack an island that they don't give you a map for? If that even makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Totally makes sense. Like, what if you want to play Nimitz's strategy instead of MacArthur's strategy? Nimitz wanted to go into Formosa instead of uh, uh, instead of the Philippines. Um, they might give you maps for the Philippines. I don't know if they, if they give you a map of Formosa in there. We can actually explore that uh, that other option. Yeah, it's interesting to uh, think about. I was looking at the extension that. Uh, comes with that set and what it does is makes it hypothetical if they did not drop the bombs and you went into the remainder 45 and 46 and brought in the units that were scheduled to appear after the end of the japanese campaign uh the the pacific yeah you're talking about operation coronet operation downfall operation olympic yep the uh the invasion of japan itself yeah which which is kind of hits home for me because my grandpa was on a ship to do the invasion of japan uh, yeah, so was mine. And uh, uh, honestly, he said, thankfully, uh, I, I, the bomb dropped, and they didn't do it. So, 
But yeah, I often kind of uh, like it. Like I'll probably be saying it uh, this next week at Christmas. Um, that uh, the fact that our entire family is even here uh, is uh, you know thanks to the atomic uh, the, the atomic bombs because uh, my father's father um, the uh, the original James Johnson um, was uh, a PFC in the army at the time. Not only was uh, he uh, he had literally just been drafted, so he was getting he was one of the newer guys. So those are the guys that were going to send in first, rather than a lot of the guys that were being sent over from ETO or other uh, uh, other theaters. Yeah. And not only that, but he was he was trained as a he was being trained as a battlefield medic, and um, Japanese snipers were trained to hit American medics first. So the statistical odds that he was going to be landed either. Um, there was two stage landing. I, the first one was on Kyushu. The second stage was going to be on the actual Tokyo plane. Um, Operation Coronet, Operation Olympic, and then both were kind of put together into Operation Downfall. Um, I, no, uh, October 30th to November 1st, 1945, and then the uh, the big invasion of Tokyo plane was going to take place at the end of March, 1946. And God only knows how long it would have taken. Um, also, the Soviets were supposed to get involved. That was the reason the Soviets went into Manchuria in August of 45 and the Sakhalin Islands in um, also at the end of 45 is that they were going to invade northern Japan mm. uh, to help us out. That was part of the reason uh, FDR sort of gave away as much as he did at Yalta. A lot of times uh, he, Roosevelt gets a lot of flack for making a lot of concessions to Stalin. He was desperate to get Stalin, number one, into the United Nations, and number two, into the invasion of Japan. Because uh-huh. that was February of 45. They didn't know if the bomb was going to work. Um, and we didn't want to go into Japan alone because the casualties and the fighting was just going to be absolutely astronomical. Um, but yeah, well, as far as like what the atomic bomb probably saved, the, the, the tens of millions of Japanese lives those bombs saved. I know that sounds crazy. Um, is nuts. Yeah. And, um, Another thing it probably saved is you would have had a North and South Japan the way you had a North and South Korea, North and South Vietnam, East and West Germany. Mm-hmm. You would have had a divided, uh, you had a, a communist part of Japan. So that whole Japanese economic miracle that took place in the 60s and 70s, that shit never happens. Um, and again, there's probably 10 to 15 million further uh, Japanese war dead, almost all civilians, um, you know, flushed down the toilet if, you know, people actually have to land operation downfall. Uh, the planes are, have been declassified. Uh, we were going in there with full bore chemical weapons. Um, we weren't even playing around. Uh, we were going to gas the hell out of those people with stuff that even the Germans never used in Russia. Really? Um, yeah. I uh, can't remember the name of the op- actual operation. It begins with a G. I'll have to look that up. It's like operation. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but yeah, like full scale, like and I'm, I'm not talking about like tear gas. I'm talking about like lethal nerve agent or uh, what they had at the time, mustard gas and all that stuff. We were going to gas the hell out of those speeches. Because, um, I mean, the, the stuff that the American Army and Marines had, had run across uh, up to that point in other Japanese held islands, not even Japanese home islands, was just insane. I mean, yeah. not only from the military, but from the civilians as well. It's, it's crazy. And to, 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 to sort of extrapolate the size of those battles 
to the size of Japan and the number of people that were in Japan, and then to sort of uh, add a little bit to that, just as you're de- literally defending your home now and not some distant colony of Japan, the numbers that were coming out of Operation Downfall projected were mind-staggering. I mean, America lost 406,000 war dead in World War II. That's the whole shooting match. That's from Kesserine Pass to, you know, VJ Day. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Um, both sides of the world or whatever. Downfall was going to take anywhere from another 500,000 to over a million. Yeah. Um, so basically triple everything that we lost in World War II. Um, just to take the Japanese home islands. And even then we wouldn't have taken the whole thing. We had to give away half of it to the Soviets. So yeah, I, um, it may not be the most uh, popular opinion, but, uh, what, what those atomic bombs wound up doing, um, to sort of, you know, wrap that word up quickly. Um, I don't think can be overstated. Yeah. That's very true. Very true. Sometimes. And on top of that, yeah. uh, again, statistically speaking, my grandfather almost certainly would have died. Yeah. And there's no grandfather. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no, you know, daddy risking without daddy risking There's no, uh, you know, mama risking baby boy. There's no, there's no risking gym. So there's the real tragedy that you want to avoid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, it's amazing when you think about it. So, yeah. Um, so you're off to see your family for Christmas. That's good. You can spend time yeah, with dad. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to hang around. Um, we, have a, we have a small event later on tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going we're gonna to re-align uh, the house to gaming and hobby tomorrow. Run a little bit of a stream tomorrow. And then we drive up there on Wednesday. Nice. And, and then, um, yeah, I'm going to build a table. I've got all the pieces built for it, but I actually have to put together the actual plywood and, you know, the actual table table sure. um, up there in my dad's workshop. Dad's got a great workshop. He's got awesome lighting. That's the kind of reason I wanted to run a game, you know, at his place one of these days. Cause I mean, I there's only so much I can do on my dining room table. Yeah. He's got a huge, uh, you know, works people on the site have, have seen, uh, yeah. you know, his workshop. It's amazing. Very so cool. yeah. Awesome. Those are, my plans for the holidays. How about yourself? Well, uh, tonight is friends before Christmas. Uh, so Marty and Chris and co are coming over for dinner, uh, tonight. Tomorrow I'm going to go see my, uh, niece. She's at my dad's house. She just came back from deployment. She's in the Navy. She's a aircraft crewman survival technician or whatever it is. So she works on a carrier. Uh, so she just came back from her first deployment. So she's home. Uh, so we'll see her tomorrow. And then, Christmas, uh, where Don's dad's coming over for the Christmas weekend, and then my dad's going to come over Christmas Day, and we'll do a little bit with them, and then just me time, you know? So uh, work on some hobbying. I have literally torn apart my hobby room uh, to redo. I can't believe how much crap accumulates in this room. Um, so I've redone the podcasting corner with the computer. I now have a big old 50-inch screen for my computer, so I can multitask easily and then my flight computer i'll redo that and then i had to redo my commodore area so and then i'll work on my painting i'm definitely going to get a new compressor i have an awada ninja that little tiny box thing and it's done me well for the last seven eight years but i think it's starting to putter out um i'm not getting consistent pressure so i have to get a new uh, compressor and i might as well get a new airbrush while i'm at it so maybe i'll put a video together on some comparisons and things like that but uh 
that's pretty much what I've got going on. And I, like I said, I want to play a big war game. So, uh, but I want to get uh, Rourke's Drift done first, and then uh, look on at to our next project after that. So, anybody out there that has any ideas uh, or items that you would like to see us tackle or uh, talk about or look into, please let us know. You can comment in our Facebook page, uh, on our YouTube videos, um, email us, Discord us. Uh, you will find us on Discord. And then join us for our programming. This is the last show of 2021, uh, Season 6. When we come back after the new year, we'll start Season 7. So I can't believe it's already going to be Season 7. So it's very exciting. Um, and we'll go from there. So January will pretty much take up uh, Rourke's Drift. And then uh, we have to look forward from there um, for our next project. Um our butter bar to four-star campaign, we're going to kind of put on hold as we kind of realign projects because we like these historical theme months. Now, I don't think we're going to do every month as a theme month because it takes a couple months to build up a project. You know, it, it, if we were doing this full-time, we could possibly get away with doing a theme every month. But, you know, between real jobs and everything, it may be like an every other month. Like we do try and do like four to six projects a year. I mean, does that seem realistic to you, Jim? So, yeah. Um, or we would have to set up like an actual team plan that everyone could like actually commit to. Right. And, uh, it would be like, okay, we're going to start off with 2022. Um, okay. Rourke's drift is great, but then we're going to start a month for every historical project starting in June or whatever. And we would spend like April to, I'm sorry, we start like January to May, building up like the first three or four yeah. uh, projects or whatever. So we'd, we'd always have to have like a, like a bit of a, of, a, of a lead time. Yes. Um, yes. If we wanted to do every single month. Um, and yeah, some months are easier to do than others. And uh, some months are, are definitely a lot more like, good God, what things can you pack into June? <laughs> There's a everything few. From, everything from Waterloo to Midway to D-Day to Barbarossa to Bagration to back again, Saipan, everything happens in June. Yeah. Um, February, uh, there's a few I can think of, but not that many. Um, so, yeah, it gets a little bit tougher. Um, depends on the month. Yeah. So, yeah, especially as you go back in time in, in more temperate climates, you know, a lot of pl armies stopped fighting in the winter, in the dead of winter, yeah. you know. So Napoleon didn't learn that lesson, and Hitler didn't learn that lesson, but others did not fight in the winter, um, and others took advantage of it, hence the Revolutionary well, War. Napoleon didn't really fight in the winter. He had Moscow before the snows. He just made up his mind. The, the Russians pretty much burned it down, so he couldn't stay there, and then yeah. he had to walk back in winter, and that's that's when everything kind of went pear-shaped. Yeah. So, All right. Guys, um, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year or Happy Holidays if you celebrate another festive uh, holiday this time of year. Um, this has been a tremendous year, uh, very challenging year with everything going on in the world. Uh, but we hope we've given you a little bit of escapism and enjoyment over the past uh, year. And without you guys out there, we could not do what we do. So the help I'm asking for is very simple. Make sure you like, thumbs up this video or podcast on YouTube um, because the algorithm based on likes. So the more people that give us a thumbs up, the more it gets out in front of people who may not know about us. Uh, share 
this video or a podcast. Uh, we are on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify. We're on everything now. Uh, any platform that does podcasting broadcasts, we are on. So no matter what format you listen to, we are on. So we're across all the spectrum. Uh, like and subscribe if you haven't already to our YouTube channel. Again, we're racing to the 1,000. Uh, once we hit 1,000, things start picking up a little bit more. So we've got to get there. Uh, we've really climbed this week, and we appreciate everybody who's joined recently. Um, also, we're looking for those other contributors like Piorto. So if you are interested in presenting uh, or have an idea for an article or something, please let us know. You can check us out at our webpage, thesitreppodcast.com, or reach out to us at our email address, sitrep.podcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll get back to you. And we're looking forward to having guests on the show in the coming year. Uh, we're going to start planning out some guests and things like that. So, and I do think that Jim and I are going to have to have a movie review show at some point for historical reviews. So, uh, yeah, I keep meaning to get back to those. I have a few because our Battle of Britain one was pretty successful. Yeah. And I've got a few more lined up in the queue, um, or at least, you know, ideas for them all. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to do too many World War II ones in a row. Uh-huh. And, um, again, at least at first, I wanted to do some more somewhat positive reviews. Right. So there's a lot of great war movies that are uh, more modern that are actually pretty good. Yeah. Like uh, There's, like, literally 20 of them. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I got to sit down and get re-familiar with the movie again and uh, get re uh, refreshed and, you know, additionally boned up on the uh, on the history behind the movie. Yeah. So that I have some inkling what I'm talking about. Most definitely. And um, I'll be coming out with a rule book review of Black Powder Red Earth here soon. I've gotten the book. I've had a chance to skim through it. I'm going to do an in-depth read over the next week or so, and then we'll put out a uh, review on that one. All right, guys. Jim, any final thoughts as we close out this season? Um, happy holidays. Uh, congratulations on making it through 2021. And uh, hopefully 2022 will be a little bit better. Yes, we definitely think so. So this is Bill for Jim for the Sit Rep Podcast and the rest of the team. Uh, we'll wish you happy holidays and say we'll see you in the next year. Take care. You have been listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 